distinguished ministers, Minister Kamikawa, excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, it is an honor for me to welcome all of you to the 14th Congress on Crime Prevention and Criminal Justice. For more than half a century, these crime congresses have served as the largest and most diverse gathering of governments, international and regional organizations, civil society, experts and scholars. And I would like to recognize the amazing efforts made by so many people in their chosen fields. Welcome to the Road to Kyoto podcast from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I'm Ian Tennant. So, here we are in Kyoto. Well, not quite. Most participants at the 14th UN Congress on Crime Prevention and Criminal Justice are participating online. Most of the speeches and interventions and events that we are watching are being made by those online participants. Nevertheless, despite the immense organisational challenges, with credit to the Japanese government and the UNODC, the Congress is taking place, just not quite as we know it. All the plenary sessions, committee sessions, special events and meetings are happening and will happen throughout the course of this week, and the reports will be written up and published in the usual way. But if you ask most people what they value in meetings and conferences of this type, it's not usually what happens in these main rooms, but what happens in the corridors, in the receptions, and what you hear people saying in informal settings, not in those pre-prepared statements. This is where you hear what people think and what ideas they have to improve things. This is where you make new connections or rekindle old ones, forge new partnerships, think about things from a new perspective. You might meet people from a completely different background and experience. Maybe they will challenge your thinking, make you consider things differently. And why is this type of interaction so important with regard to organised crime? On Thursday, the Global Initiative will launch a new flagship report on the global illicit economy, which will show how since the adoption of the UN Convention Against Transnational Organised Crime in the year 2000, Crime has grown exponentially and evolved dramatically, taking advantage of societal and technological changes. Also shows that existing responses are not doing enough to keep up with these changes. At the same time, we have seen that the manifestations of how crime damages communities are understood best by those inside those communities from civil society. They often bear the brunt of the damage in the form of threats, violence, and even assassination. The Global Initiative's approach to the Congress has been to try to bring some of these voices to the table, help them explain what these issues mean to them and what they are looking for from the international community. Ideally, these kind of exchanges would take place in personal and informal settings, but simply this year it's, it's not to be. However, some say that the online nature of the Congress actually makes things more inclusive. In her opening speech to the Congress, UNODC Executive Director Wiley said, The 14th UN Crime Congress is helping accelerate progress in the way we leverage technology for the benefit of a more inclusive multilateralism. But from behind our computer screens, it's just not the same. The hybrid Congress has already succeeded in adopting its outcome, putting on its full range of official events, and that's no small achievement. But it cannot replace the real forum for exchange between governments, the UN and civil society that the Congress should be. There are limits to what technology can do to replace the exchange that we are missing. I just took part in an ancillary event on civil society engagement in the review mechanism to the UN Convention Against Transnational Organized Crime. The technology was fine, all the speakers could speak, but the issue is not just about technology. The reality for civil society at this Congress is it feels like things are in many ways going backwards. Practically speaking, there are limits on the number of NGO delegates and speaking slots that did not exist before. 
Although more may be able to log in, and some will save money due to the lack of travel costs and obstacles, the ability to engage in the formal meetings has undeniably been restricted. Each NGO is only permitted one speaker in the plenary meeting and the committee, and under each of the substantive agenda items, only three NGOs are permitted to speak. This means that members of civil society wishing to speak in the plenary need to be prepared in advance, and there won't be opportunity for impromptu discussion and response on the part of NGOs in the plenary. More fundamentally, the outcome document of the Congress, the Kyoto Declaration, had already been agreed before the Congress began. The declarations, according to the 2002 UN resolution that officially instigated them, should adopt a single declaration containing recommendations derived from the deliberations of the high-level segment, the roundtables and the workshops. This time, the declaration has been negotiated through a process dominated by governments and completed before any of those sessions take place. The negotiations which took place in Vienna were not open to civil society, and there was a regional preparatory process preceding the negotiations that only included a very small number of NGOs. For example, a regional meeting for Latin America only included one NGO in a region with such a vibrant and large civil society community working on crime and justice issues. This lack of civil society engagement has no doubt contributed to the state-centric approach outlined in the Declaration itself and in the opening statements of the Congress, which have largely neglected to mention the contribution of civil society. Interestingly, at the ancillary meeting where I was speaking this morning on behalf of the Global Initiative, a representative from the delegation of the governments of Nigeria explained why his country does not support what he described as over-generous references to civil society engagement. For him, it is to do with the apparently not transparent funding of civil society, the sovereignty of states and the intergovernmental nature of uh, the UN Convention Against Transnational Organized Crime. The government of Turkey has more forcefully expressed its distrust of civil society by attempting to block the access of two NGOs to the Congress, accusing them, most notably a renowned criminal justice college in the USA, as being supportive of terrorism. They have not received any support from other member states and the NGO in question has received interim accreditation in any case, to the credit of the other member states at the Congress. This suspicion of or hostility to NGOs is reflected in the Kyoto Declaration itself, which says that we emphasize, and this is the states and governments speaking, our primary role and responsibility as states and governments for defining crime prevention strategies and policies. When it comes to civil society, the Declaration does talk about multidisciplinary efforts and multi-stakeholder partnerships with private sectors, civil society and academia, but only as appropriate and after emphasizing the partnerships that should take place between government agencies. But let's look back to the Crime Congress that took place in Vienna in the year 2000. Things sounded a bit different then, a bit more positive with regard to the view of civil society. Back then, the declaration that was agreed at that Congress said that we emphasize that effective action for crime prevention and criminal justice requires the involvement as partners and actors of governments, national, regional, interregional, and international institutions, intergovernmental and non-governmental organizations, and various segments of civil society. And it also calls the recognition of their respective roles and contributions. So the role for civil society, as agreed this week in Kyoto, seems to have been watered down quite a lot since 21 years ago in Vienna. So what's changed since then? We know what's changed in terms of crime, and our report on the global illicit economy will demonstrate some of that at the Congress on Thursday. But we also know that civil society working on organized crime has changed. And in fact, we believe has more potential now than ever. 
Despite the threats, the assassinations, and the pressure at the UN that civil society comes under, its diverse views and experiences offer states information and data that they simply don't have. Their diversity represents the world as it is, and can only help states in the UN better understand how we need to adapt our responses to crime. In return, civil society needs international support to ensure it has the space and resources to act at the local and international levels. And it needs that support to ensure that these initiatives which build resilience of communities at the grassroots level are maintained and enhanced, including through the Global Initiatives Resilience Fund, of course, which will also be presented to the Congress on Friday. Despite the challenges of engaging in such difficult circumstances, the importance, potential and resilience of civil society will be heard at this Congress.